Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. We've been on vacation a few weeks, and we hope your wine drinking hasn't suffered while we were gone. Well, or that you've found something better to do with your time. Paul, what could be better than hanging out with us? <laughs> Rick, that, we don't have enough time on the podcast for that list. Yeah, that's probably true. All right, well, let me rephrase. <laughs> we hope you still have a few moments in your lives for us. And because we've gotten a bunch of questions while we were being lazy. Well, I, I got a fair amount of work done. While I was being lazy, we're, we're going to start season four by answering a few of those, uh, including three that all involve this reoccurring subjects of questions. These come up a lot. Paul loves one of them. Richness, acidity, and here you go, Paul, minerality. Oh, I got stories to tell yeah. about minerality. I'll bet you do. Also today, listeners ask about the wines sommeliers choose for them, about restaurant wine lists, and about leaving a wine in the fridge. And as usual, we will, of course, make fun of wine snobs. And by the way, we are still, even with our little break, and here starting season four on the Capital Public Radio podcast lineup. That's Sacramento's yeah. NPR station. We're even in a special category, Paul. Yes. Uh, Capital Public Radio recommends. Recommends. Mm -hmm. um, it, thank you, first of all, Capital Public Radio, and good luck, NPR. We hope that we don't damage your reputation forever. You know, by the way, they list us as education. <laughs> We're in an education category. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I think it's probably because, though, they don't have a silly category. So. Oh, yeah, I, yes. That's, that's, that's what we do best. Yes, yes. Uh, all right. So uh, if you'd like to ask us a question, uh, there is our website. If you're not listening on our website, that is rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, rickandpaulwine, if you're listening to us on the feed. Easy to go. Easy to ask us a question. So our first question comes from Alice in San Francisco. She says, I tend to like rich wines, especially whites, though I'm a little like Rick and I'll drink almost anything. Well, Rick will drink anything, and uh, especially if he doesn't have to pay for yeah, it. I love free. It's my free, favorite flavor. Free wine. Yep. <laughs> um, Alice asks, so she says, so why do some of those rich wines wear me out? Like they lose something or get flat, but then some of them seem to stay kind of fresh. Hmm. That's a good question. That's a complicated question. Yeah, but it is about, it's about this word that, the wine geeky world makes into uh, almost a catechism, you know. But the truth of it is, it does have a, a great value to wine, and that's acidity. Well, yeah, it's it's to me, it's it's about balance, and a wine that has really rich, heavy flavors, but isn't balanced with some freshness and some life. Think of you know, think of any experience that you have, whether it's a movie, whether it's eating a dessert. An incredibly, incredibly sweet dessert tastes really delicious for one bite. By the third bite, you're thinking, dear God, this is way too sweet. I can't stand it. Rich wines have that same capability unless they're balanced, unless you have that underlying structure that gives that life to them. And it usually comes, you are correct, from having a little better acidity or brightness in the Yes, food. and it's not... To the point where it overwhelms. And in fact, this is one of the, the things that you know, we've talked about this often, which is that there's sort of, you know, in the, the, the cool kid community that is, you know, going to the extremes um, that, you know, it's really, really, really acidic wines. But, but this is uh, about, you know, the metaphor that I often use is orange juice versus, say, orange Kool-Aid. Uh -huh. You know, you don't think that orange juice has acid in it until you brush your teeth and you go, wow, there was something popping mm. there. Another way to think about it is like adding some lime to a margarita. Right. It gives it a, some, right. it gives it a sense of freshness. You don't notice that it's like acid is in there. It just gives it a liveliness. And, and I'm going to suggest that my use of balance is important because... It's, to a certain extent, subjective. 
you may like a little more acidity than I and True. still feel that True. it's balanced. True. So my wife prefers less vinegar in her salad dressing than I do, and I'm right and she's wrong. You are kind of a sour guy, though, Paul, so <laughs> it's, un- it's understandable. You know, the, the other thing, though, it, it is a, a, in some ways a caution. And, and you know, wine writers and, and, and sometimes just people in the business – Talk about this thing had great acidity, and and sometimes they don't even you don't even actually taste it. Then sometimes it really is, and it is a you know for somebody that's, that's sort of trying to decide, am I going to like this wine when somebody recommends it as having great acidity? A friend of mine was at a major conference not so long ago with a lot of big time master psalms and and the like, and they uh-huh. were all offering up their favorite you, wine. You have friends like that. Um, no, I don't, but he does. Okay, yeah. And, and he, I'm, cl- he, I'm glad we clarified yes, that. Yes, no, they were his friends and his conference. I was just, <laughs> he was just telling you were his just stories. Learning. Yeah, you were I just, was, yeah. I was on the outside looking in. <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying how they all offered up their really beautiful acidic white wines, and, and he said every one of them didn't taste good. Right. You know, they would have been great with food, maybe, right. but but they well, and and but that's a that's a really valid point because at the same time, you know, when you order a piece of fish, it comes with a slice of lemon on the side. Don't eat the lemon. D- well, not by itself. Squeeze the lemon over the fish, and it makes oh, the fish taste better. See, I was crinkling the fish over the lemon. That's no, no, why no, that never works out. You were squeezing the lemon over your yeah, head, well, and too, yeah, you know, that's why you don't uh, have any hair on top. Yes. Yeah, so in any case, <laughs> that's it. Imbalance is it. Imbalance really means all those things, and it means and it, but it does, and and it, you know, the other way is think about fruit cocktails. Juice, you know that juice is it's so pure cloying. sweet. Yeah, and it's all pure sugar. Sweet. Yep. Yep. Okay, yep. I hope that answers it for you. So, Kate in Sacramento, uh, taking this a step further, take a deep breath, Paul. Kate asks, <sighs> "Is acidity the same thing as minerality?" Oh my goodness. Okay. So, first of all, um, no, no. And second, but second of all, um, it is very difficult to imagine a wine that has minerality and doesn't have acidity because minerality basically means relatively unripe fruit. And I had a wonderful conversation with a dear friend of mine up in Oregon this summer uh, when I was working and you were clowning around, Rick. And um, I, was, she, I was mostly napping. She was. She's a huge believer in minerality. And she described minerality as a sense of space in the wine where there basically is an absence of big, rich flavors. And I said – that's space. That's not minerality. We had a long and quite involved conversation. It was a lot of fun for both of us. But minerality doesn't happen when grapes get really ripe. And acidity doesn't happen when grapes get really ripe. In both cases, they're expressing what happens when you take these wines that are a little less ripe. The acidity is a little fresher. They're a little brighter, but they don't have those big fruit flavors. And instead, a lot of people use minerality to describe those wines that don't have – in fact, quite literally, my friend said, minerality is the lack of fruit. Yeah, that's probably true. So quick thing just as a catch-up if anybody doesn't – is not familiar with – I mean the real notion simply as grapes get ripe, their sugars rise or acids drop like any fruit. Think about you know an an unripe peach. It's kind of sour. Same thing with grapes. Um, so as the more sun, the more ripeness, the sweeter they get. We, that's, that's sort of a, a slam dunk. And the softer mouth. Rounder. Um, and if uh, you haven't heard Paul rant, and frankly I'm with him on this, is um, <laughs> what even when you talk about minerality, it really doesn't mean anything. But you can, in terms of the flavor, you can mean you say it has a stoniness to it or it's, an earthiness. It's an invented or, term used to describe something that I think 
is is badly described right. by minerality, and yes. they would be better off using other terms rather than minerality because minerality implies that it tastes like minerals. And I don't know what zinc tastes like. I don't know what uranium tastes like. I don't know what copper oh, tastes like. Uranium's wonderful. Delicious. It yes. doesn't last long. It's not good. It's, um, What's the shelf life yes, on those it, uranium? We, we cookies? We talk about uranium and half and sh- cookies and half lives. That's what we do. Um, but uh, so, but but even then, if you you can think about some wines and. Remind you of the ocean, you know. Maybe that has sure. this, a, a seashellness to them, and those are those are. Um, so it, we would both prefer that they use those flavor descriptions rather right. than say, right? Um, then it tastes like minerals. Yes, but the fact that they are less ripe, so, um, you, you're right. You don't even in a ripe riesling, and for anybody who likes riesling, you know, one of the descriptors is petrol, which would be to, some people just describe as minerality. But that's an and that is something that's in the grapes. But the riper they get, the less that's there. Actually, the kiwis say that it comes from sun. Sunburned grapes. From sunburned grapes? Sunburned grapes. That the petrol does? Uh-huh. Wow, interesting. Yep. All right. Yep. They did a bunch of research on that. The problem with research is it gives you answers. So, and, and the problem with minerality is every research project they've ever done has failed to determine yes. what minerality is. Yes, and re- remember we we had our, another Kiwi, another New Zealand study about, and yep. all these people found something, but they had a complete disagreement on what as to what it was. It. So, yep. in, so, so, Kate, the answer is no, it's not. But they are related. They are related in the right. lack Acidity of really high Acidity is quite literally the amount of acid in the wine. And minerality is an attempt to describe the relatively muted ripe fruit the flavors mi- in the yes. wine. Yes. There you go. Okay. All right. This one is from Daniel in Healdsburg. Cool. Daniel asks, says, we go to restaurant name removed so we don't get sued a lot. And everyone is really nice. But the wine guy doesn't seem to know what I mean when I say we want a rich wine. The wines he suggests are always just not rich. Do sommeliers hate rich or something? Well, I'm going to tell you a little story about a time I once served a really rich wine at dinner. And you know my wife's a chef and she makes absolutely wonderful dinners. And everyone raved about that wine. And after dinner, she said, you are never serving that wine in our house again. Again, because it overpowered the soup. I spent all day cooking this dinner, and nobody even mentioned the dinner because they were talking about the wine, and the wine overpowered the dinner. So there may be a reason that the sommelier is recommending wines that aren't as rich and powerful. But at the same time, I know where he's coming from. If that's what he likes, why not make yep. the customer happy and give him a rich wine? Well, and there's also the difference is that uh, your job is not to mess up your wife, who's, as we all know, much cooler than oh, you boy. are. Um, yeah, and I'm not very good at that job. Yes. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but in a restaurant, it is their job is to please the customer. To please and the customer. It doesn't matter whether they like the food or the wine. If they liked everything, they had a nice time. That's what you're after. That's right. Yeah, and there is, but there is an answer to that. It is. Um, it's un- an unfortunate thing that happens in some places, and it happens with a lot of things, and anything that's popular becomes uncool. And so for some psalms, not all of them, some places that they're trying to not do what everybody else does, maybe it's about coolness, maybe it's just about being unique. Which is all fine. So yeah. you put together a wine list that has a bunch of acidic wines with not very ripe fruit flavors, and none of them are rich, and that's fine. But if you're opening a restaurant and you are going to take the position that a huge percentage of the wines produced in the world today are not going to be served in your restaurant because you don't like them, somehow I think you need to let people know that. Yeah. I think it's fair to say some way of explaining, you know, we have a very specific wine list that we've paired with our food. And frankly, I think a restaurant that says, 
we're not going to serve any of the most popular selling varietals in America today yeah. because we don't want to serve them. I think their corkage fee ought to be damn low. <laughs> so you, because can, bring you can bring so you can bring in what you yeah. want to drink. Or, you know, if you're a customer, you should know that ahead of time so you can go somewhere else. You should be able to know that ahead yeah. of time. Yeah. And yeah. That, that is the thing. And rich and smooth are the two things that Customers, customers want. ask for the most. Yep. yep. We've seen study yep. after study. Which explains why our podcast isn't all that popular. Because right? we are neither smooth and you, I am certainly not rich. And we are not rich. You, um, we are not rich. We're not smooth. We're hanging on. Yeah. Yeah. But we are robust. <laughs> 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 all right. This is from VJ in Folsom. This is a kind of a related question. Uh, VJ says, uh, one of our favorite restaurants has a really nice wine person. She almost always picks out a wine we like, but lots of times it doesn't taste like what I expected, ah. even after she explained it. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it's because I don't understand what she's saying sometimes. What do I say to her? I don't want to embarrass her. So first off, VJ's a nice person. First off, VJ's absolutely nails it because yep. the wonderful thing is he's worried about not embarrassing the sommelier. Yeah. Most diners in this situation are worried, worried about, about themselves being embarrassed. Embarrassing right. themselves. Right. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, that's right. Good so, for you, VJ. Really, seriously. Beautiful yes. position here. And I would say that the simplest way to say this is to say exactly what he just said to us or she just said to us, but then say, because you describe this wine as this, and I would describe this wine as these terms. And that then allows the two of you to start dancing around because the challenge, of course, is everybody uses different words to describe stuff. It is one of the uh, really uh, frightening things about the wine world is that everybody yes. can use the same descriptor and mean something else. And that's because flavors are difficult to, to describe and, and, yep. and experiences yep. are related and stuff. Yep. So I, I agree with that, VJ. And I would take it a step further because you seem to not um, – mind being humble here or, or and say, I'm sorry, I'm still a little unsophisticated well, with wine. I'm not sure he's not being, I'm, he may just be absolutely sure of himself. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying, so I'm saying, I'm saying his, sort of his positioning is he doesn't mind he's saying, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, well so, I'm not sure he's saying he doesn't know. What he's saying is I know something different than the sommelier well, knows. What I'm saying is as a tool, as a tool of getting her to help. Right. You, you take the position of humility and say, you know, I'm still kind of learning this. Could you explain, explain that in another way? Well, again, what if, is, if, if why he doesn't use his time? own words, she can keep repeating the words that, or come up with new words as, until she hears what he thinks of that wine. She's not going to be able to really help him figure it out. I think that's where he has to say this funny image. Now, there are a couple of places I'd start. I'd start with body. And you have that wonderful comparison of skim milk, skim milk and regular milk, right? Or two percent, right. yeah, or regular right, milk. Right, right. And I would that. say, you know, I would consider this to be a heavy versus a light-bodied wine. That's important for him to say. And then the the other thing is whether it's sweet or dry. But allow those sorts of things. He should say what he thinks the wine tastes like to him. And ask her how she would describe those same characteristics. And I'm going to take it one step further here, uh, which is uh, use my favorite tool, your cell phone. Uh-huh. And if this is a restaurant you go to regularly and you like them, and it sounds like it's true, is take a picture of the wine. 
Right. Uh, and uh, you can also ask her while, when the wine comes out. But even the next but, time, but say— But that's what's happening. Yeah. She's yeah. describing the wine. He's tasting it. He's liking the wine. But not able to describe it. So, yeah. So, so the, the photo doesn't help, Rick. Well, I'm saying for the next time is that so you gave me this, and I thought it was lemon. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, 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 yeah That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, but I think what, what uh, the truth is, don't worry about embarrassing her. She's a pro. Uh, yes. And just say it nicely. Yes. And saying, and oh, uh, you know, the more we travel, the more we eat out, the more we go on airplanes and everything else, the more we realize what we do is way short of the weirdest thing that person has ever seen. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I've done some pretty weird things. <laughs> All right. I don't know if that helps. I, or think, not, I think the sommelier would be delighted to, to have, have that, that conversation. conversation. That's actually maybe the simplest answer. Yeah, probably right. She would probably really Say, be very It's funny. Happy you said this tastes like lemons. Yep. I think it tastes like watermelon. How do we get together on this? And I think the sommelier would jump at the chance to say, what a cool comment. Let's yeah. talk you know about what? that. So let's. Uh, VJ, scratch the last three or four minutes and just take that last line. <laughs> just, she'll be happy to have that conversation. All right, what this, else we got? This one is from Victoria in Laguna Beach. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and uh, this was actually not an emailed question. This was a question asked to me because I was at this great little restaurant. But she says, ah. we have a great little restaurant here that's mostly for locals, and I like their wines a lot. I like a lot of their wines. But I can never find them in a store. Why is that? And the server said something about on-premise wines, whatever that means. Yeah. This was exactly the conversation. She asked me that, and I said, Victoria, can I use this for my podcast? Because this yeah. is such a great question. And because you didn't know the answer, but you thought you'd ask me. No, I said, well, we're on the premise. So, um, right. so, so there is a thing. First, it's, it's more complicated, but what, what they meant by on-premise is in the industry, we wines that you drink where you buy them are called on-premise wines. Promise you, wine. So restaurants, bars, hotels sell wine on-premise. And, and, and if you buy have, the bottle and you take it home, you it, drink it off, off the premise. premises. So that's a retail shop. And in the business, the wine, both producers and distributors and all those folks, actually separate those accounts and how they think about those wines. For, yeah, and for some wines, they do. Some wines are available everywhere, right. and we know all of that. But right. some wineries specifically prefer to have their wine sold only in restaurants or only in retail shops. Right. Now, the reason restaurants like to focus on wines that are not sold in retail shops is because when you walk into the restaurant and you see Rick's famous Chardonnay, and, and it is famous. It oh, is yes. famous. And you see it on the wine list for $38, and you say to yourself, gee, that's $4 funny. in the supermarket. I was in a supermarket <laughs> just the other day, and I saw this for $4. Marked this down to $1.99. This restaurant is Nobody was buying gouging this, me well, yes, for everything. Right. Yes. And so restaurants prefer to use wines where customers can't make a direct sale price comparison so that they have a little more flexibility in how much they charge for their wines. Right. And also, the they what they're after is uh, the best ones anywhere, after familiarity so that you feel comfortable enough with the list, but at the same time, uh, originality. They, they do want wines. You want sure. to be able, you know, it's it's both price and, and service. You want to be able to, they want you to feel like you come to the restaurant and you can get something there that you can't get anywhere else. Well, my, my, I, have a, I have a dear friend who, who used to run a very successful restaurant who always said his wine list is composed of wines that people wouldn't normally find other places because that's his job. Yep. His job is to find things that they couldn't drink at home. Right. But it still has to sound, uh, the, the, best, <laughs> the best lists also have some residents where even if they can't find them, the wine, the wines make some sense to them. Right. Yeah. Right. But speaking yep. of uh, making sense, making sense. Not us. Our, well, no, not us. Actually, we have a we have some really horrible wine writing coming up. That oh, makes that won't make no any sense, sense. either. Uh, we will be back with a little more questions, but coming right up, some horrible wine writing. 
that's sensible music right there. Yes, it is. I'm dancing in my seat. Unsensible writing. So, Paul, let's hear your unsensible war writing. Rick, this is amusing. This is on a bottle that when you look at the label, front and back, it makes absolutely no declaration of where it comes from or what it's made out of. Does it, it, does it even have like a like California on nothing. it? Nothing. Just okay. says wine. Red wine, yeah, like red wine, wine probably okay. or something. Yeah. Okay. Here's what the label says, right. the back label. Uh, wine name removed so we don't get sued. Is an homage to the lure of the beautiful and picturesque landscape and rare terroir. <laughs> Of this distinctive and unique vineyard. Oh, I like that distinctive and unique. <laughs> it beckons to the passions and emotions of fine winemakers with its singular, one of a kind terroir. <laughs> there is nothing like it. <laughs> and this wine is almost certainly blended from grapes all over the Western world. Oh, for sure. I like it. It's an homage to the lure of the beautiful and picturesque landscape yeah. and rare tour of yeah. this distinctive and unique vineyard. And if the vineyard is so distinctive and unique, why wouldn't they actually put the name on the bottle? Because, yes. yeah. I also like that the the um, the the and, and back label is certainly their marketing team as somebody who does yes. some of that um, is they, they double everything the beautiful and picturesque the distinctive and unique vineyard the yes. passions and emotions yes. and the singular one of a kind terroir <laughs> yes and and the the vineyard beckons to the passions and emotions of fine winemakers I see the vineyard out there with long strands yes. of of come, vines come Paul come come. come. Come make wine from my grave. Sleep, my pretty. Sleep. <laughs> Poppies. All right. So this mine is, uh, this is from a pretty major wine writer telling readers why American wines aren't good. Or, oh, well, that's an important message yes, to get or, out. Or so, it's some version of yeah. that. It's the, Particularly because, what was it now? It's now more than 40 years ago that the greatest French wine judges announced that California wines were better than French wine. So yes, this winemaker's it's, got it. It's more like 70, 60, yeah, 60 years ago, right? Yeah, so 70, 60, 40, 40 70, 40. 70. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do math. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, this is the writer. So what's now. the question? It's The writer says this. It's a question that comes up regularly. What is your favorite American pin- Pinot Noir? Mm-hmm. I find it impossible to answer. I mean, okay. Th- okay, that's horrible. And the writer hems and haws, and I, I'm not going to read you all of this, but it doesn't really like American Pinots as much as the writer likes Pinot Noir from Burgundy, okay. which we should point out wasn't the question. It wasn't a comparison. <laughs> right. right. All right. So the writer goes on. This, of course, is the sensible answer. In Burgundy, expressing the intricacies of Toir is raised to a high art with centuries of vintages behind them. Burgundians can confidently describe the divergent characteristics of, say, Chambon, Moussigny, or Nuit Saint-Georges, and he goes on and on. The differences in Bottles may include blah, 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 most, you know, it's, and then, but then he goes on. The same accumulation of history is not available for Americans where the modern wine era traces back just a scant well, few me, decades. Rick, what was the question? Exactly. <laughs> this is my point. <laughs> so he says, likewise, the idiosyncratic temperament and character is simply not available in American Pinot Noir, and we should not pretend otherwise. Dear Lord. Okay, fine. The, right, he, the, the guy was asked... What are give me a, names give me a of a couple of, of decent right. that you like, and he can't do it. Okay, but first I need to point out the writer says likewise the idiosyncratic blah blah blah. Yeah. Anybody who uses the word likewise to start a sentence should be slapped. 
Likewise, Likewise, I agree with you. It's just, yes. <laughs> that's just, that sounds like the writer's wearing a smoking jacket. Oh, you know? yes. yes. Oh, yes. yes. And, and, and not only a smoking jacket, but he's got a cigarette holder. Yes. He's not smoking yes. the cigarette yes. itself. Likewise, the idiosyncrasy. Oh, dear Lord. You know, plus it was just a stupid answer. You know, it just, say what, there's not one Pinot Noir in America you find drinkable. Or just answer the question. Yes. You can say, you know, I love the differences of Pinot Noir in, in France, but in America, they're, they're, I, it's harder to choose. Okay, you could do that if you wanted to, but really, that wasn't right. It wasn't even just, asked that. You could just pick a couple of wines that said, "The last time I tasted a bunch of American Pinot Noirs, these were two that seemed to taste good to me." Yes, that could have it's not that, that hard. That could have been an answer. Do we do we have any questions we should be answering? We do. We have a couple more before we uh, before we uh, close the start of our open sitting <laughs> of the season. I don't. All right. So this is okay. from uh, Beth in Carmichael. Okay. Beth asks. Does it hurt anything if I have a white wine in the fridge for a couple of days, take it out because we're not going to drink it, then put it back because we are, and then take it out because we're not, and so on? Does the in and out hurt it? Um, depends on how many times you do it. To be fair, most wineries, almost all wineries, and I assume she's talking about a white wine. She does say white yes, wine. Yes, yes. Most white wines, before they are bottled— are placed by the winery in a tank and chilled down to not quite 32 degrees, but below 40 degrees. It's a process called cold stabilization, and lots of the little particles in the wine have a tendency to fall out at that point. So it's it it makes the wine a little cleaner without affecting it much. So they go through it all naturally. They go natural. through it all naturally. To do it again doesn't really matter. To do it four or five times, to me, the real question is not how long does it go in the fridge, but how warm does it get outside the fridge. Right. So take it in the fridge, put it in that cupboard over the oven, put yeah. it in the fridge, but, put it in the cupboard over the oven, you're going to mess up the wine. Right. But, but if, if you it's take being it from stored the fridge okay. and then back in a relatively cool, dark place, back and forth yeah. a couple times, I wouldn't worry about it. The, the concept I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around is she's got a chilled bottle of wine in the fridge and she's not opening it, Rick. Well, apparently they're opening something else. So, yeah, that, <laughs> but fundamentally, first, first the answer is as long as it's only a couple of times, as long as we're not any great amounts of times, as long as it's being stored, you're fine. Well, let's answer this next question, and then uh, and maybe we'll get a little farther along. This is um, good luck. This question is also <laughs> from Beth in Carmichael. Oh, likewise, the same Beth, who says, <laughs> "Any tips about how to get my husband to stop changing his mind about what wine we're going to open?" <laughs> oh my goodness! So this is the complete and full question. Is not only that, and and the answer is uh, you decide. Ah, okay. Beth decides. Yep. No, you, yeah. Now, no. The the as any woman knows, the secret to getting along well with men is to make them think they are deciding. Yes. So that men's little little <laughs> fragile egos can don't uh, get hammered. Don't get hammered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so well, I'm I'm I would love to hear the conversations, but he wants this one. He wants. I mean. I have to admit that sometimes when people come to my house, I put two or three bottles of wine in the fridge figuring I'm not quite sure where we're going with tonight's dinner. And we may go that way or we may go this way. But once they're in the fridge, I usually find a way to drink them in the next week or so. So it's OK. I'm not like that. I if friends come over. I usually put two or three bottles in the fridge or aside for yourself. For me. And then, yeah, and then we serve them something else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah so but Beth, I, I think in this case, um, just you know what you can do? 
you can tell them that Rick and Paul said it's bad for the wine to take it out, even if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that way, well, the, you got to But the it. other thing is, what is? I'm I'm curious as to the process. So he wants a wine. He's going to open a wine. He puts it. in Might the be fridge. thinking ahead of time. Maybe the day before, and okay. then he decides. And you know, he's open I think I'd rather else. open that Pinot Noir from uh, New Saint George. I'd love to yeah. hear the thought process. Yeah. You know, I'd love to. We need to get Beth's husband on here so he can he can explain exactly what's going on there. I uh, yes, guys. This is I think their simple <laughs> answer is guys. Well, so. it's funny because it's talk about indecisive, and of course the classic stereotype is that women can't make up their mind, and guys always do. But here's a clear example of a guy not being able to make I, up his mind. I can't decide what I think about that. <laughs> all right, Beth. We probably didn't help you on the second one, but the first one is don't really worry about it. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. And speaking of not worrying about it, likewise, that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bettini. Bassini, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on our podcast lineup. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that life is better when Bottle Talk is on the air. Oh, yeah. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us.